0: Hi there and welcome to Polyamory Uncensored, a podcast where we, your hosts Lindsay Miller and Katie Williams, interview a poly person each episode and we try to answer the five points of journalism. Who, what, when, where, and why as it pertains to our poly lives.
1: Guy, about 10 years ago. It's a podcast about swinging and polyamory, and 10 years. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm also an author, and I have books if you want them later, but we won't talk about that now. Uh, anyway.
2: mm-hmm. uh, yeah. <laughs> this is Kayla. Hi, I'm Kayla. Uh, I use they, them pronouns. I work here at the tool shed. I worked here a couple years. Are we like giving poly credentials too? <laughs> um, yeah, poly- <laughs> I, I'm rather new to polyamory. Uh, just about a year, actually. Uh, So, kind of got the newbie voice
3: here. Yeah. Well, hey, I'm Dylan Thomas, and as Cooper said, we started a a Wacky Morning Zoo podcast about ten years ago that also talks about non Uh, I You can find me on Twitter everywhere, as Dylan Thomas, where I actually talk a lot about, uh, I talk a lot to men because uh, I have a lot of passion right now for talking to other men about how they can improve themselves, and honestly, just be better people in general, not even better Partners or better lovers or um, or you know anything like that and so uh, I may not talk directly to all of the men in the audience individually right here or anything like that <laughs> don't worry it's cool but that just happens to be my current. I'm not going to sit down um, with each of them. I don't have a backwards cap today. So I'm sorry <laughs> I you can't. You can turn do that. your chair around. That would, that would accomplish the same. I problem. need to complete the look.
0: Yeah and then this is a, a panel uh, the infinite ways to love uh, and play and we are going to kind of self moderate and go back and forth when it comes to uh, questions and <laughs> answering all of the questions that you might have. So thank you. All right, let's start. Um, so we already introduced ourselves. Check. If you would like to answer, feel free. But how many people in the audience identify as polyamorous? <laughs> how <Yeah. many> a-
1: <laughs> you, can, you can raise your hand even if it's an iffy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, how much.
0: many identify as swingers? And uh, how many are unsure? But curious,
2: yeah. Oh.
0: <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> <laughs> All right, um, so yeah, it's actually a, a really good mix. It's, uh, almost every time we've done this class, it's been like like a third in every group, so mm-hmm. that's pretty great. All right, cool. So we're gonna go through some definitions. We've got like 15 little uh, things that are most commonly used words in ethical non-monogamy, and we'll just kind of maybe, yeah. I don't know, okay. whoever I'll wants to I'll do it, but you can start. What is I swinging?
1: <laughs> Traditionally, <laughs> swinging is, uh, people in a committed relationship, having sex with people outside their relationship, and everybody knows what's going on. Generally speaking, traditionally in swinging, it's a couple and a couple, or a couple and a single, uh, but usually it's couple-focused. That's traditional swinging. All
0: right, and polyamory, or ethical non-monogamy, is uh, similar in opening up your relationship for multiple connections and multiple relationships, uh, but generally more commitment, romance, or like loving connections are emphasized. Uh, it's not always the case, but uh, generally under the like umbrella of polyamory, just to make it as simple as possible, it's loving more. So more open, honest communication, more loving, committed relationships.
2: Uh, next word is swally. That tends to be <laughs> a controversial term. Um, really, all it means is people who practice both Swinging and polyamory, and called themselves swally, so some people who are polyamorous call themselves poly, so it's play on that we've got feelings on that
1: I, uh, do, have you ever heard
2: someone call themselves
1: swally because in, in 10 years i've heard one person call themselves swally and it was the guy who invented the word swally we threw it in there because it was supposed to be funny but we forgot to make it funny That's really what it was so. yeah. I mean, the, the the secret is the the venn diagram of swinging and polyamory overlap almost entirely and the, the people on either side are the ones who p- practice the outlying version, but everyone else is really somewhere in the middle. So monogamish,
3: uh, a (laughs) monogamous couple that happens to occasionally, for the right person, uh, enjoy other people. It doesn't necessarily mean committed, but it can be a committed relationship. It doesn't necessarily have to be a one-night thing, it can be a regular thing, but it's really defined by the fact that the couple is still a couple and they're happy with their lives being coupled, but occasionally enjoy someone else
1: solo poly solo poly uh is when i mean one person just dating a whole bunch of people and everybody knows about it the key is everybody knows about it
3: and they're not interested in necessarily getting what they call an anchor partner mm-hmm. or somebody to build a life with it's just they choose to be their own partners or however they want to describe it but still date just as many people or as few people as anybody else uh,
0: don't ask don't tell is something that we hear a lot in the community oftentimes uh, it is a partnership in which both people are okay with the relationship being open, but one person does not want to know anything about what the other person does. So, obviously, don't ask, don't tell.
1: It is occasionally a red flag. <laughs> I mean, it
2: is but usually yeah. a red Arguably
3: flag. Unethical. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but but it's, it's a totally valid choice, though. It does work yeah. for some people.
2: Um, Metamore is the next word, which is simply your partner's partner. Also more is yes. your partner's
1: pet. <laughs> yes. Your partner's partner's pet? It <laughs> can be both. It's, <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's the extension that matters. Yeah.
3: Compersion. Deriving pleasure from somebody else's pleasure. For example, my wife goes out and has a good time. That makes me very, very happy. Uh, I, I love that she's getting something that she needs from somebody else or something that she wants from somebody else. Uh, and it's wonderful to be surrounded by compersion.
1: It's often described as the opposite of jealousy.
0: But I think you can have jealousy and conversion at the same time. Oh, yeah. Like,
1: every time you guys go to Mexico. I love that I love it. And I but you're jealous. hate it. You're, yeah. you're envious. You're not <laughs> jealous. Yes, envious. I'm envious. Yes, I am envious. That's
0: true.
1: Uh, fluid bonded is usually describes people who have penetrative sex without barriers, without condoms. Uh, but depending on your definition, it could also include uh, oral sex without barriers.
0: Uh, speaking of safer sex or risk-aware sex is the practice of sharing your status, uh, your sexual status with folks before having sex, um, knowing all of the risks going into it, say if your the partner is on birth control or not, or if they have been tested and then had risky sex in between being tested, you know, knowing all of that information beforehand gives you, makes you aware of the risks of sex, because like we say, uh, the only totally risk-free sex is masturbation, and even then you can hurt yourself. So uh So, so the the only
1: way to win is not to play? <laughs> <laughs> it's it's I, th- I thought were your hands for a second. Um, <laughs> uh,
0: so, so risk-aware sex is knowing all of the risks going into it and, and being aware of them. But it used to be called safer sex or safe sex
2: uh next term is unicorn hunter and unicorn um so unicorn hunters are typically heterosexual couples not always heterosexual but often who go on dating apps uh looking for a sexual partner without necessarily considering their own person so like them as a person they might be like have certain rules like uh my boyfriend's going to watch you're not allowed to have sex with him or um, other rules that might seem kind of like not really considering that third person, that third person doesn't get to you at all adjust or have a say it in those rules. Um, it's often seen as a more a negative thing, but there are people who can ethically unicorn hunt uh, because there are unicorns out there which tend to be uh, bisexual women who are looking for that kind of partnership.
3: I, and, and so this next term is triad quadruple B. Uh, triad being an equal relationship between three people. Uh, I would call a unicorn-hunting couple, the, uh, maybe a little unethical version of that, because it's not an equal relationship, so kind of a, a counterbalance to that. So triad, three people in an equal relationship, Quad, well, four people in an equal relationship. V, when there is one person sitting between two people, uh, maybe physically, maybe not sometimes, depending on the situation, but uh, that one person is in a relationship with two other people, so it's the person sitting at the V. And then, of course, the two people at the ends are metamorphs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. If you've had another question <laughs> you are draw a
4: picture? I, I you
1: like that you know, yeah. Of course. <laughs> yes. Of course. Ah, the one-penis policy. Ah, this is, uh, we talked about red flags. This is a big red flag. Mm-hmm. This is, generally speaking, uh, very jealous men who, uh, are happy with their their partner playing with as many women as she wants, but if any other penises get in the mix, they get really jealous and controlling. It's it's a major toxic element in both swinging and polyamory. And uh, if you hear of someone with a one penis policy, maybe you just don't want to hang out with them that much.
0: It's also, and usually unknowing to the people who are doing it, a very uh, transphobic uh, statement because it's kind of assuming that uh, there are no women-identified folks who have penises or there are uh, no men identifying folks who, have, who don't have penises, and that's just not the case in the world that we live. So, uh, yeah, the one-penis policy is generally a bit of a red flag. Uh, so, this is kind of hard. Uh, <laughs> primary, secondary, hierarchical relationships. It's actually not that hard. So, hierarchies, you know? Uh, you get the whiteboard out of there. Levels, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so hierarchical relationships are generally those in which the couple in question considers one another their primary, and anyone else that they date are secondaries. Uh, some people can say that they that it can be, it can turn into a little bit of an unethical dynamic because everyone else is treated lesser than, uh, but it can definitely work for some people. So. Primary and secondary
2: hierarchical relationships are, are just that. There are, There is a hierarchy. And that is in opposition to a newer kind of concept. I don't know actually how new it is. Um, but it's relationship anarchy, which is when people don't define their relationships by like primary or they don't limit the kind of love and connection they have with the folks that they are connecting with or have relationships with and rather kind of define them by however those two or more people have them So uh, for example, it's like when uh, multiple people might go on vacations with multiple partners or bring multiple partners home for holidays rather than having just one designated partner. Those are just really, contrived
3: examples, but... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, in general, people make the arrangements that work for them, right? And, and the, the important part about relationship anarchy is that it doesn't treat any other person as less than. Mm-hmm. Sure, you may be building a life with somebody, sure, you may spend a lot more time with one person because they're closer, because you have a more intense relationship, because you've been with them longer, but you're still not treating them as a better person than the other person. You just have more invested in them, and you have more commitments with them, or whatever, right?
1: So yeah it is also worth noting about relationship anarchy that uh it, it does happen where one person's on board with relationship anarchy and one person is not but they're going along with it and i've seen a number of people who practice relationship anarchy wind up at a dead end because their partner's just like yeah but could you show some care for my feelings at some point uh, a lot of these terms you
3: know, we have practiced a lot of this stuff some of the some of the good some of the bad Without knowing we were doing it because we didn't have the language for it. So like throwing all these terms out at you right now, sure it looks kind of intimidating, and we need a whiteboard. But uh, when it, when it comes down to it, there may be already something you're doing or you know of that is described by that. It's just you know how it feels instead of what the word is for it. So don't bother getting, don't worry about getting tripped over the words. NRE or new relationship energy. Somebody new that I happen to be in a relationship with. Uh, I they feel really shiny to me, and I feel very intense about them right away, very quickly. And occasionally I do it to the detriment of other people that I'm with. And I try very hard to uh, not lose perspective and devote all of my energy to that person because it's real easy. Because NRE is great, so.
2: It's like your brain on drugs.
0: (laughs) In general, it is actually the same. Uh, Chemicals are released in the brain during new relationship energy that you you get when you take cocaine or Mm -hmm. eat really good carbs. Like, those are, <laughs> they're both the yeah. things that you do. So, I so have some pasta stalks right yeah, here. Crunch on them. So that, that feeling, which is amazing, is what's, like, coursing through your, your body during awesome. a new relationship. And it can make you do stupid things, make bad decisions. And, you know, I, you most get of a bit us bit probably experienced that.
4: Yeah.
3: And, you know, when you're with somebody that has been with someone new or met someone new, um, it takes a little bit of effort. And uh, a little bit bigger view of the land to kind of allow them to enjoy that energy with somebody else without necessarily getting too, too jealous or uh, you know, too wrapped up in the fact that, oh, they're spending all this love and attention with someone else. Because energy's strong, and we've all kind of had it more than a few times, I'm sure. So. <laughs> Maybe twice, I don't know how. To
4: do.
1: mm-hmm,
4: Your name. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you just <laughs> twice. <All> right,
1: twice, <laughs> uh, Enthusiastic consent. This is what we strive for in every interaction with people, I think, but uh, it's important uh, in sexuality and relationships to get enthusiastic consent for whatever you want to do. And that just means it's not a yeah, okay, it's a fuck yeah, I want to do this. Because you really don't want to be with someone who doesn't want to do something with you. You want to be with someone who really, really wants to. Alright, so we're going
0: to go through some of the most frequently asked questions of us ethical, non-monogamous folks.
1: Does anyone have any questions on the terms? Because I know we just threw a lot of information at
3: right you. Uh, when you're talking about a relationship the people on the ends are called metamores. What is the person in the middle called?
0: The hinge, <laughs> usually. Uh, if it's a V relationship, there's a hinge in the middle. Um, I think, is that is
3: that what you meant? Yeah. OK, good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, the, the elbow, hinge. the little bit <laughs> of skin the on the elbow that hangs
0: off. That's <laughs> off. what I've heard. I've heard <laughs> the <that laughs> <that, laughs> yeah. Yeah
3: yeah why is the one penis a rare flag? so uh, there are all if you don't mind no, uh, there are all sorts of arrangements that people can make with partners to either date other partners or and honestly real early on in exploring other people a lot of rules bring a lot of comfort to people uh, and while i never had a one penis policy with my wife i can see how at least in the beginning it would bring a little bit of comfort like you know what we're okay exploring we're even okay exploring together but like at the moment i just can't i can't see you having another penis inside you and so if it's part of a progression it can totally be something under uh, understandable but if somebody practices their non-monogamy with their partners uh and says i don't want you to have any other penises in your life that's limiting somebody else's choice and uh it's kind of at its core unethical so yeah, I mean that's really what it comes down to, right? Like you're saying, I don't want you to be with anybody uh, with any other penises. I don't want you to be with any
1: other men. It also uh, it's, it, it, the, uh, it devalues uh, the sex between the women in the relationship because it suggests, well, this is this is an okay level of it's sex not that I'm comfortable with, but you add you add a man and a penis in there, you, then it, then I'm not okay with it. Meanwhile, usually the man who's saying this is having sex with as many women as he wants. So he gets to have heterosexual sex, but his partner only gets to have homosexual sex. And the reason it's a red flag is, I would say in 90% of the times I've seen this, maybe even 95, it has been with someone who ultimately is essentially building a harem. He wants to have all these women who are at his beck and call, but they are all only beholden to him, and that is toxic across the board.
3: One of the um, one way to practice swinging uh, is where you only soft swap with other people, and that can mean that you don't. That means you don't have penetrative sex with with anybody on the other couple, and that also means you know that penis is not necessarily entering your partner, and that's fine. But that's also a way of saying you know what, this is just where we're comfortable. Mm -hmm. And so you don't call it one penis policy, it's it's a mutually agreed on thing that you do together. And you're being very
1: open about it with the other people that you're with. And um, totally valid way to do it. And as long as everybody is truly buying into something, it's fine. But it's the moment people are feeling coerced to buy in, or maybe don't even realize they're being coerced (laughs) to buy in, that's when it gets really dicey. I, mean,
3: I have a 10-penis policy for my wife. At She needs to have at least 10 in her life. Doesn't matter the gender, and, at, at yeah, And if not, then I'll just start throwing them at her. That.
2: <laughs> okay, sure. So uh, the first, most frequently asked, the, the fact. Uh, how do you deal with feelings of jealousy? Do you experience jealousy? So I think that there's like this myth that polyamorous and maybe even swinging folk have like evolved beyond (laughs) jealousy. We have gone to the next level. Um, That's not true. (laughs) Um, Everyone, for the most part, there's like those select few people that just don't experience jealousy. Good for them. Most of us do um, (laughs) at some point or another. And jealousy itself is not necessarily unhealthy or bad. We, We tend to have this connotation like this is a negative emotion. But just like sadness and just like anger, these are emotions that we will experience and that we've learned to work through in a healthy way, then it can actually bring our relationships closer. Um, So yes, I've experienced (laughs) jealousy and working through it has made me a better person and also made my relationship stronger.
1: I I always suggest looking at jealousy like the check engine light on your car.
4: Uh,
1: Sometimes when that comes on, the engine is literally about to fall out of your car. Other times when it comes on, you didn't tighten the gas cap enough. So if every time that light comes on, you panic like the engine's about to fall out of your car, you're gonna drive yourself crazy and not want to drive your car. But, it, but so in your relationship, if every time you feel jealous, you allow yourself to panic like your relationship is ending you're going to not have a very happy relationship, and probably not be very happy in general. So you have to take that as a as a suggestion. Step back, you know, quantify what you're feeling, figure out why you're feeling it, and usually then you can process your way through it. Because jealousy is often just a, a warning light that you're feeling something intense. And if you're feeling something intense, it is worth Evaluating.
3: Yeah, the way that my wife and I have figured out how to kind of deal with jealousy over the years and we've found other less healthy ways to deal with jealousy over the years. So just for the record, we've done that. We've been there. Uh we make a lot of space for each other to be able to I'm using flowery words. We sit down and say, Hey, I wanna tell you something, but I don't want you to freak out. Or I I wanna tell you something about how I feel, but this isn't your fault. Right? And so uh my wife will tell me something, and it's like okay. If I had not made space for her to talk to me about something, I'd be kind of angry with her about something. I was really mad at you when I saw you with so-and-so. You two were making out the whole night, and it was, you know what? You said that I could go with her to the party and that you would be okay. Why are you jealous? No, I don't need to say that because she's just telling me how she feels. And honestly, I would rather understand how she or any of my other partners feel and make space for them to do it and kind of just eat my own words for a little bit because I might want that for myself too. Sometimes I just want to express a feeling, because expressing the feeling makes me feel better, even if I don't necessarily need anything back. And it's not a competition, we're not trying to win, we just want to talk to each other. And so far, that has been we've been successful dealing with jealousy that way.
2: Right, and just to like add one more thing, just to like add on to that, jealousy also doesn't mean that you have to do anything about it. It doesn't actually mean you, there's any actions that need to be taken necessarily. Sometimes it's just processing, and then sitting with those feelings yourself. So if you, yourself, are the one feeling that, sometimes it's about just taking a step back and really reanalyzing, like, why do I feel this way? Actually, I think you had a really good, um, tr- there's like a Triforce or something like that, if you want yeah, to talk about, I, about I, it.
0: Triforce tr- is more the multi oh, yeah. thing. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, there is definitely aspects to, to jealousy. I believe it's uh, just like breaking jealousy down usually falls into either uh, possessiveness you know feeling like you're um, going to like you own your partner and they are going out and doing something and you, you you want them to come back to you because they're yours envy i mean just in general uh you know when my partner watches that new netflix show with his partner and i'm missing i'm missing out on that i feel feelings but they're <laughs> not intense like oh we need to chat about this it's more like Damn it! I really wanted to watch that. Okay, fine. That's, that's
1: fine. Netflix monogamy <laughs> is really probably one of the most important <laughs> things. We need to add that. Nuts. We need to add that to this right now. Yeah, I, I, just, I have I have shows with everybody I'm seeing. Wow. And
0: I'm never polyamorous.
1: So, so you you can, <laughs> no, you can literally go yeah. home and watch a show yeah. by yourself and don't get angry. Yeah, I'm so I polyamorous. Home, I do I Amazon guess. Prime now. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Well,
0: I watch everything by myself if I want to. So that's fine. Um, and then also, oh, what are the other aspects of jealousy? Uh, like fear of loss and yeah. fear of uh, that you're going to actually lose your partner. So just fear in general. Uh, so fear, possessiveness, envy, all of those things kind of revolve around jealousy. And I think that jealousy is a purely neutral feeling. It's not necessarily good or bad. Um, society will even say that it's a good thing, you know? Like we'll often say that we're trying to combat jealousy, but, but when, society is like, oh, if your partner cheats on you, uh, it's totally valid to go key their car, or it's totally valid to burn all their shit I in the front so. yard. <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? Um, uh, that's, it's like uh, society is encouraging jealousy, but uh, we like to say that it's it's not necessarily a bad thing, it's just neutral, feel those feelings, communicate those feelings to your partner if you feel that you need to, journal about it if you want to, uh, but work through them. Don't just repress them. Uh, So another question we often get is uh, what kind of rules do you have or do you have rules for your relationships and in general uh, what is the difference between a rule and a boundary? So I'll just quickly go over uh, the difference between a rule and a boundary is that a rule is imposed on another person. So that that rule is you cannot go out out and uh, date other men. A boundary is imposed only on yourself. So it is, I don't feel comfortable dating other men so I'm not going to date other men. So a boundary is self-imposed on your own body. Maybe it's for protecting your body, it's for um, uh, something that is a trigger for you or something that you don't feel comfortable with, but it's only
2: controlling yourself. And a rule is generally controlling another person. Some people will try to get around this by saying, like, my boundary is that if my partner lies, I, I, I won't date a liar. And then, so the the question is, if that's a boundary for you, then if that person lies to you, your responsibility is to leave that relationship. So that's what makes it a boundary. Your action is the one that comes out of the boundary. It's not that the person has to stop lying, because you cannot control that person, um, whether or not lying is ethical. Um, So that's kind of like a way to distinguish between those.
1: Early on in swinging, a lot of people have a lot of rules and you'll often see this on swinging profiles these are our rules and there's nothing wrong with that because most of those rules are negotiated and they're they're sort of relationship fail-safes because like like we were talking about you know society has programmed us to believe certain things and feel certain ways and so a lot of the time at the beginning we put these uh, fail-safes in place to help prevent these wild emotions that you have coming up and I found that over time they're in healthy relationships there tend to get to be fewer and fewer rules because you start to realize my partner is not just going to randomly leave because they got the best sex of their life last night (laughs) so I don't have to make an arbitrary rule that'll keep them from doing that and uh, you know, at this point, we we have uh, my, my partner and I talk about them as guidelines, not not boundaries. We have we have certain expected things that we will do and we will share with each other. But other than that, we don't have rules anymore. I
2: was going to add to that. Um, we talking about rules and boundaries, but like there's also a third category of agreements that mm-hmm. um, is commonly talked about and. So that doesn't mean that all kind of agreements are bad, because like for example, a really common agreement tends to be like fluid bonded people. Or yeah. I I would feel uncomfortable if you had unprotected sex with someone without talking about it with me first. It's a really common agreement, and it's typically to keep everyone uh, a little bit safer, just to make sure that everybody feels comfortable. Um, and that doesn't mean that that's automatically bad. It's just that that is negotiated and agreed upon by um, whoever is involved in that. then agreements can be flexible.
0: So if you're a partner and you have a fluid bonded agreement that only you two will be fluid bound with one another, and a year or two into a different relationship they decide they want to be fluid bound with someone else, then it's a discussion, not a, oh my god, then now we have to get a divorce or you something. Know, like, it's not the end of the relationship because of it. Uh, I will also say that I don't have any rules in our relationship, but um, I, in, in my relationship with my husband, uh, we used to say that respect is the only rule, but that can be really nebulous, and, you know, so it's like, well, what? It, you know, I'll be like, that was disrespectful, and they will be like, I don't know what you're talking about. You know? so, so respect isn't really a good rule when it has nothing to do with, you know, like, it's all value judgment. I respect your yeah. right
1: to think that exactly, It's disrespectful. Right, right. Um,
0: so, but we do have boundaries, you know, like, I would say that I have, you know, I have a boundary that someone can't, um, might, well, this is kind of like saying that someone can't do something. But if a partner physically abuses me, I'll leave the relationship. So that's my boundary. You know, so uh, so I will never be with somebody who's physically abusive. Uh, if, if that were to ever happen, I would immediately leave the relationship. And that sounds really like serious because boundaries are serious. Um, but then boundaries can also be as simple as I don't want to be around somebody smoking. If if someone starts smoking next to me, I'll maybe leave the room. 'cause I I'm in control of my own body and I can do that. Right. And that's my, you know, boundary. But I'm not going to try to impose a rule over somebody else unless it's like in a building where there's no <laughs> smoking or something. You know? <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so uh, so yeah that's like a boundary is something as serious as like I won't be in a relationship with someone who's physically abusive.
3: Question well, yeah. way in the back. The question I'm just repeating for this yeah, the yeah. question is how do you negotiate testing with STIs and so, actually, uh, let me wrap this up with yeah. the answer that with the boundary thing. Um, so, regarding how we play with people, just to start there, uh, for me, uh, the, my wife and I have made an agreement: we don't fool around with other people, and if we want to change that, we talk to each other. So that's an agreement. But the line between that being a boundary and that between a rule is a little bit fuzzy sometimes, uh, and so it's really kind of how it feels. If it's, I don't have to support my wife doing eight extracurricular activities but I choose to because she's not violating a boundary of mine. If she's violating a boundary of mine, if she's, if I'm only okay with her doing things that take her away four days a week and she's doing seven days a week, I may not support her for all those things. I may start talking to her about how happy I am. Like having a boundary doesn't necessarily guarantee I'm happy, but it does mean that maybe I'm unhappy if something happens. I just don't stop her. And so with STI testing, uh, I have a boundary that the people that we play with, uh, my wife and myself, and we've agreed, we've agreed to this. Uh, we play with all barriers uh, by default. And if people have had recent test results, and if we know them and plan on knowing them into the future, right, then we're, we're willing to loosen up some of those uh, those play practices. And so, one boundary of mine is, have you had an STI test within the last six months? If you haven't, then then if we play, we're going to play with, with full barriers. Uh, and STI, if somebody happens to be Uh, positive or something. Uh, That isn't necessarily a boundary for me. That's just something we talk about later. But, uh, yeah, negotiating STI testing, okay, you haven't, that's fine. I'm not interested in playing with you. Or, I'm not interested in playing with you about
1: about barriers. So, that's really it. And especially in swinging, a lot of people who are just getting into the scene have just come out of a 20-year monogamous relationship, so the last thing they considered is going to get tested for STIs. And that's why it's important to get comfortable having this conversation, because a lot of people haven't had this conversation, and a lot of people don't even know how to have the conversation. So your advocacy for yourself and your advocacy for your health is incredibly valuable there. And
0: I've dated people who are younger and new to poly and have never been tested Ever in their life, right. because it just had never come up, and they'd only been in monogamous relationships. And, and, and school
1: and, teaches nothing.
0: Yeah, and, and yet public education failed them. Yeah. And so we, um, you know, we talk about uh, before going out and and being sexually active, it's always good, even if you feel like you're a hundred percent safe, to go get tested. And luckily, Milwaukee has this really great resource called the Holton Street Clinic, yeah. and it's on Holton Street, and it is forty bucks to get a full panel of testing. Um, whereas like. Planned Parenthood, which is a great organization, and we love them. It's like 80 bucks to get three things, and they will sometimes refuse to test for certain things if you're like not a likely culprit to have them. So the last time I was at Planned Parenthood, they did not want to give me an HIV test because they said yeah. that yep, yeah, they refused because I'm uh, you know at least passing to them cis white woman who has no you know whatever like likelihood that I would have it. Uh, and then they also don't test for herpes, or um, or you have to like really badger them to get them to test you. Yeah. So, but Holding Street Clinic super easy. They are like grant funded, so they really are uh, very very open minded. There, they literally literally asked me if I was like bisexual or queer, or they asked me if I had um, uh, sexual partners with multiple people. They were just super open minded and knew all of the terms and. And, um, and yeah, they, uh, they don't care. You know. <laughs> They're just like, we just want information because we do studies and
3: shit. So, um. What it what boils down to me is it's good to know your status because then you can communicate that status. And honestly, knowing my status and uh, listening to and communicating that status with other people allows me to be slutty. And I'm very happy being slutty. I like being with a lot of people. And I wouldn't be able to do that if we didn't have clear, consistent communication on our statuses and, uh, and how often we get tested and things like that.
0: And it's not exactly ethical to, to, to force someone to go get tested for you, um, because some people cannot afford it. Some people can't even afford forty bucks to go to the whole clinic, but, um, or or it's just not like feasible for their schedule to be able to do things like that often, right? A lot of people will get tested like every six months, but if you are say trying to get tested every single time you have a new sexual partner, that could be every three weeks, like depending on how active you are. So, uh, it could be more than that, right? So mm-hmm. like so. So Insisting that someone else get one unless you're willing to pay for it is a bit is a bit difficult uh, but You can always say to protect my own body then we're going to you if, if any sexual activity happens We will be using gloves and dental dams and condoms for oral sex as well as penetrative sex because That's a boundary or that's like to protect yourself
1: and that comes down to the term risk-aware sex because it is it, the idea is you understand what the risk is. So if, if you're playing with someone who either doesn't know their status, you could assume they have everything, and then play in a way that protects you from the vast majority of that stuff.
4: Question.
1: Yes. Yeah. You say when you go to the clinic they ask you all these questions if you're bisexual or queer.
4: What's queer?
0: Here's more of an uh, an open and like uh, umbrella term for a lot of different sexualities. Um, so like bisexuality, um, gosh, gay, pansexual. Yeah, pansexual, all of those fall underneath the umbrella term queer, which is just kind of like a, an overarching term of not straight. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, you don't necessarily have to be queer to be one of those, but being one of those does mean you can easily be queer. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
4: <laughs>
1: yeah. And in general, straight people just aren't queer, just are <laughs> not.
2: Even if you're polyamorous or a swinger, you if you're not queer, you're, you're not queer. <laughs> That's true. Okay, so move on to the next question. Uh, the next question is, is non-monogamy a kink? Um, <laughs> well, I believe last time
1: we answered this was no.
3: Is, is monogamy a kink? I mean, to us, to, to us know, it might be at the point, right? Yeah, like, some people say hey, it's let's it's get together and have a monogamous night of fun. There <laughs> are, you, can, you can make <laughs> that, that really weird. sense I want to sleep with you for the rest of your life.
2: <laughs> there <laughs> are kinky, <laughs> non-monogamous <laughs> people, of course. There are kinky, monogamous people, of course. There are plenty of vanilla, polyamorous, or stringy people. So, the, the, answer, the, the short answer is no by itself. It is not um, but it, it, there are plenty of people who identify as such. Just as uh, there is non-monogamy, automatically queer. We just talked about that. No,
1: <laughs> right. Well, and also the 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 difference really is when you when you add the word kink. A lot of people who are non-monogamous refer to it as the lifestyle or their lifestyle. It is a, a form of relationship. It isn't. Th- and you could argue that some kinks are a form of relationship. A ds relationship is a form of relationship. But ultimately, it, it refers to a different type of thing, non monogamy.
0: Um, are relationships like these always initiated <laughs> by men? And are they inherently sexist?
1: No, <laughs> no. <laughs> no.
0: Yeah, I would say that I, I like to argue that polyamory is inherently <coughs> feminist, because it is allowing women to make choices for them, their bodies, and for themselves, and for their relationships which is always a good thing and, and is is feminist. Um, and oftentimes, as someone who has been the leader of a poly discussion group for 10 years now, they're often initiated by women.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so that's not, it is a, it's a myth that, that it's always a guy who wants two girlfriends, but
2: oftentimes it's not not, not the case out in the wild. <laughs> it also assumes that like everyone is starting off heterosexual, which is just like kind of weird in and of itself. Um,
3: that <laughs> I will say that the, just identifying as polyamorous or just being in a polyamorous group doesn't necessarily mean it's a feminist group. You yeah, can definitely practice multiple partner relationships of any kind and still be imposing limitations on people, still be treating as a man, treating women like shit, uh, mm-hmm. or as property, as less than yourself, things like that.
1: So. Um, just but something to keep in mind. That's why the ethical part of ethical non-monogamy yes. is so <laughs> important.
2: Next question. Uh, what's wrong with monogamy? <laughs> <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Can I take the And then, do you want me to ask a follow-up right away, too? Oh, is there? Yeah. Do you consider oh. non-monogamy an evolved form of relationships, Cooper? <laughs> do you?
1: No. No, I don't. Uh, <laughs> here's, the, here's the thing. We didn't know that we had a choice. Life was given to us as you grow up and you become monogamous and you get married and you make more people so they can grow up and become monogamous and get married and make more people. I didn't know I had a choice. And when I knew I had a choice, I made my choice. If you know you have a choice and you choose monogamy, that's fantastic. You had the choice and you made your choice. So really, you know, non-monogamy and monogamy, there are people who are nothing but happy being monogamous and there are people who are nothing but happy being non monogamous. It's it's simply one more option that you most of us didn't know we have.
3: I will say there's a common conception about non monogamy by monogamous folk that it's dangerous and it's threatening. And sure, if you've never interrogated your monogamy, then no. sure that's kinda of threatening. It's like, oh man, maybe maybe my wife will want to be with other people and that's scary and I'll get jealous. Sure. But also Maybe if you've made a decision with your partner together, and you said, you know what? We just kind of like being with each other. That's cool. Doesn't mean you have to try it. You just have to think, OK, this is another choice. And then I made a choice. And I think that knowing that non-monogamy exists can really be freeing, because then you've chosen each other, and you've chosen this way to live. And there's a lot of power in like making a choice as opposed to just
1: accepting something by default. Uh, non-monogamy worked well for me. Uh, and the, the people who, uh who think non-monogamy has evolved are often in that toxic realm of, uh, of non-monogamy. Because just, be- just because you've chosen uh, to have open relationships does not mean you are smarter, better, more ethical, you know, all the things, it's, it's just a choice you've made. I will
3: say that there is a, a higher bar to, to jump over as far as being successful you, it is a little bit easier. It's easier to be successful in a monogamous relationship than it is to be successful in uh, a bunch of swinging relationships or a bunch of polyamorous relationships, because you need to be better at managing your time, managing your energy, managing your focus, and just better in relationships in general. Uh, and so you can. It doesn't mean that you're bad at relationships if you can't do it and you stay monogamous, but you do need to do a lot more work to deal with your jealousy. You have to be a much better communicator. A much better coordinator, uh, a, a, a whole better, a whole much better, a lot of things. Uh, so it's a requirement of being in multiple partner relationships, but it doesn't mean there's anything wrong with being monogamous, other than it being kinky. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, uh, what about STIs? How do you stay safe? I know we touched on this uh, briefly. Well, no, actually, we touched on it quite a bit, but I will. I have my kit here. Uh, you do, actually, you know what? Yeah, show off your kit. I
1: uh i love your (laughs) kit this is my safer sex kit this comes with me i do yeah sexy tubes female condoms (laughs) uh, insertable condoms i've got different size condoms here including polyisoprene for those people with latex allergies i have gloves in the bottom I have wet wipes and a Listerine spritz up top. See, this, this is called being prepared. Very, the, yeah. the, key, yeah. the key is you should always be prepared for a situation because the last thing you want is to have that little thing come up in your brain like, do we really need a condom? Because the answer is probably yes. <laughs> so bring it because everyone is also responsible for their own sexual health. So, like if you're going on a date, don't assume the other person will bring their safer sex kids so I think the, the best answer for that is think about it, talk about it, and then make decisions based on it and that's that's how we do it. By and large, uh, condoms prevent transmission of most of the big, scary diseases uh the The ones that it, they don't prevent are Herpes and HPV, but HPV, while sounding scary, is also a very slow-moving virus. That so eighty percent or that, more yeah. of the
3: population has. That many if, people are if you non-monogamous. And, yeah. You
1: probably will have it, have had it, will have it at some point. Yeah. Uh, the, the key is to keep an eye on your health. You know, check yourself for for things. And I found that swingers are far more likely to notice things because they're far more focused on this I
3: will say that there are also other preventative measures you can take right if you know that if you know that you're gonna be with a lot of people if you know that you want to practice with other people in a less risk aware way but want to prepare for that you can go uh, you can take PrEP if you're if you're interested in engaging in what is considered more risky sex or if you're going to exchange foods with people a lot and PrEP
1: Uh, is the HIV preventative
3: right Uh, if uh, you can go get a Gardasil vaccine uh, and you can end up uh, protected against the cancer-causing and symptomatic-causing uh, versions of HPV. So uh, there, there are other, you know, there are other measures you can take. It, again, just thinking about what you want to do and what you want to be doing. Did
2: you explain what some of the stuff in your safer
1: sex? Yeah. Sure. Story? Sure. Show and tell is great. I love this. <laughs> I love this. Um, okay. So we have. Insertable condoms, which used to be called female condoms, are these even still available? No,
2: actually, unfortunately, C2's are uh, insertable has
3: condoms are now Oh there. Yeah. yeah, there there are another couple types. Yes, it uh, has. Okay, so those <laughs> yeah. those are. Done. Oh wait, oh no, wait. That means you can take it out. Yes, here.
2: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> those are that's, very.
3: That's routine. a bummer. They're rare. They're <laughs>
2: very. Be I, I'm, I mean,
3: I, I'm, I'm a very happy user of these. They so are
1: main there are, they're mint condition. They're
3: mint in the box. Yeah. So <laughs> I'll say this real quick about internal condoms. They solve a lot of problems that don't necessarily have to do with uh, STIs and transmission, okay? So this goes inside a vagina. This goes right. Or RNS. Or 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 this take goes. The ring out.
2: What's that? You have to take the ring out of
3: anyway. Yeah, yeah, right, right. This goes around the <laughs> cervix. Once it's placed in there, then all of a sudden, this goes around the vulva, and then you have sex with a person, right? All of a sudden, well, all, of a sudden
4: <laughs> all of a sudden, suddenly,
3: a dick just falls in here magically, right? But uh, other other than uh, doing a little bit better job at helping people that may have erection issues with uh, standard condoms yeah. or uh, protecting a little bit more because it, there's just more surface on the outside. Uh, it also uh, it's very good if you are with somebody with a uh, on their menstrual cycle. Mm-hmm. This. Takes care of the mess for you. Uh, it it makes all the mess go away.
1: Or if you're in a, a wonderfully exciting menage a trois, and you don't want to have to change condoms between partners because each person can wear an internal condom. It also and you can switch. Yeah, it also preloads the application of all this because
3: if you do this ahead of time, uh, and then. When, when, oh, when the erect when the penis is ready, you just go. You don't need to stop, find the condom, put the condom on. This is ready to go, and then all of a sudden, you're ready to go, so.
2: so now that we've talked about all the positive things that do. <laughs> yeah, so I'm gonna wash my hands, So it's not as available as by saying, prescription anymore? No, it is. It's, yeah. It's yeah. The only there, there are other companies available.
3: that make insertable condoms. Oh, yeah. so. <laughs> yeah.
2: It's only available by prescription <laughs> now, okay. so it's been bought out by a drug company, um, and I don't know which one, but basically, we. Uh, it's no longer for, uh, off the shelf sale. Yeah. So they're great. Yeah. Good luck one. To get. Yeah. <laughs> well, you, If you ask a doctor or a gynecologist, yeah.
0: they can they can get those for you. And actually I had a friend um, ask their doctor about getting them and they gave them a pack of like a hundred. Oh yeah, wow. for free because they had insurance, right? So like if you okay. have insurance, you can get them. There is access to them and they're generally like covered by insurance, so they'll be you know quote unquote free. Um now uh how awkward that conversation is going to be is up to you, and uh How and, and if your doctor you yeah, is 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 going to make that accessible to you, that's always going to be different. But I have had friends First who have had them, <laughs> <laughs> who have gotten them from their doctors, and they got a bunch of them, uh, and yeah, so that, it was it was accessible for them, but unfortunately they're not available at retail stores anymore.
1: So I also have alcohol swabs. These are just the same alcohol swabs you get at Walgreens. Uh, this is great for cleaning toys, because this will kill anything. Uh, so having, having these handy is really good. Don't use them on yourself, because, uh, ex- except for your hands still, and I just gave you I also have wet ones, if you'd like some wet ones. Uh, so those are great for cleaning up after as well, mm-hmm. uh, especially if you're going to oh, be people. Yeah. Lube is good too. Uh, loop packets are <laughs> great in, in your kit because they're small and and easy. they're not glass. And they're yes. They travel well. <laughs> like like uh, our favorite loop comes in glass. <laughs>
3: you know how I was talking reason. about how we make all sorts of mistakes. I'm <laughs> touching my nose right now for those of you that can't see. So, yeah.
1: so the reason you want to carry different size condoms is because you don't know the sizes that need to need to be played with. Also, um, I don't use the good condoms. Uh, on toys because they're far less likely, uh, it's it's unlikely to break and I'm not as worried about it. Uh, The reason to have both polyisoprene and latex or just polyisoprene is people are allergic to latex and more and more people are realizing that that pain they get every time they have sex is from latex allergy and not just because they're not enjoying themselves. And the gloves is very important to me. because I'm a major germaphobe, and uh, also I like butt play, so it solves two problems there in that you can use uh, gloves and then just peel them right off and, and be done with it.
3: I love. I, I specifically love gloves, uh, even though hands uh, in and of themselves are not uh, necessarily an STI risk factor. Right. Uh, I do occasionally enjoy playing with multiple people, and it also means I don't need to run to the bathroom to wash my hands. I can just. Yeah, rip it off and put another one on and uh, dive right in. Now the one thing
1: I don't have in my kit uh, is my saran wrap and I use saran wrap for oral sex instead of uh, dams. dental dams because I don't know if you've ever used a dental dam but they're terrible. They're tiny, they're they're not see-through, uh, they, they taste like you're licking a balloon.
3: Um, <laughs> they don't stick to whatever yeah, part of the it's, skin. Yeah, it's
1: It's not great but I have found that uh, a big old sheet of saran wrap can be pressed into all the nooks and crevices in whomever you want to lick, and it generally stays there, especially if you put a little lube first. So um, I use oral barriers with everybody because, again, I'm a germaphobe and very paranoid. But it makes me far more comfortable after having sex with a new partner. Used to be before I did that that. The week after having sex with a new partner, I'd be waiting for symptoms of any number of ailments. And, of course, if you've ever been on WebMD, you either have cancer, AIDS, or herpes, because that's what WebMD shows you for everything. So uh, I got to the point where I was actually experiencing symptoms psychosomatically. So I found that adding uh, oral barriers to my kit solved that problem. And uh, it's not for everybody, and I know I'm definitely in the minority of people who use them, but I think with, uh, with things like uh, gonorrhea of the throat, um, herpes, and HPV, it is and especially uh, the HPV strains causing throat cancer, we don't know that much about it, so sure doesn't hurt to be a little safer.
3: I'll, I'll say that this is not a terribly expensive kit. I know that the- No, this not at yeah. all. So all the supplies in it, that actual wrapper thing, yeah. all, all relatively inexpensive, especially over time. Uh, you'll get a lot of play out of a kit of his size. And the
1: key is having things in a, in a, a go bag, essentially, because it, like the best camera is the one in your pocket. The best safer sex kit is the one you would thought to bring with you. Uh, so having things in a compact package, and it can be just, you know, a little, uh, my, my partner carries a little makeup bag with just a few condoms and, and lube and stuff like that, and that covers it, you know, it's because I way over-prepare, and she <laughs> prepares for reasonable amounts of sex. <laughs> Alright, so uh, where do you guys find
0: other ethically non-monogamous folks? Uh, well, as we are you know, open. as we are sponsored by Open, that is a new site, so there's not that many people on it yet. But every time we talk about it, there's more and more people on it. So, uh, so that site is cool because it is very open and poly friendly and, and swinger friendly and free. Uh, there are other websites like OkCupid, okay which are also very poly friendly. You can actually identify as polyamorous on that site. You can actually link to a partner. Uh, there are swinger websites like. Swing lifestyle, um, Cassidy, Cassidy, and SDC.
1: um, Those are the really three big ones. Field Field.
0: is a good app. Field is
1: an app, yeah.
0: Yeah, it's an app for like finding threesomes and group sex and swinging. uh, But then also there are a lot of poly people on it. Uh, And then there's also stuff like hookup apps, basic hookup apps like Tinder and uh, Grindr and Her and other things that are specific (laughs) to. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I mean, and then there are dating apps like Bumble and Hinge, and mm-hmm. so there are a bunch of things out there. Honestly, all you have to do is put on you know, like your, your Google Play or Apple Store, and, and, and you can find one of them, I'm you, sure.
2: You can also go to Lindsay's rum poly group that meets twice a month, one yes. for uh, social and one for a discussion group. They are free, and they take place here. One just happened this week. So if you're looking for also like an alcohol-free space, that might be important for some people. The discussion group meets here, Um, but then yeah, I mean we'll talk more about that at the end too. But um, you don't have to just date people to be in the poly community. To um, you can just hang out with other poly people. (laughs) There
3: there are Facebook groups, there are uh, meetup groups, there are Reddit groups that are all kind of uh, devoted to non-monogamy or location-based non-monogamy, and they all get together on a regular basis, and it's worth getting together with people, not just to date. Not every not every non-monogamous space is a hookup space.
4: Uh,
3: I board game with a hell of a lot of non-monogamous folk, and we do zero fucking in those spaces, because you know what? We're there to enjoy each other's company, uh, and and fight each other, you know, World War II style, or something like that. So, um,
1: seeking out community in addition to seeking out people to date uh, is, is worth doing. And the reason for, for that, too, is community is, uh, it's it's easy to feel lonely when you're not doing the norm. When you're non-monogamous or you're um, pansexual, bisexual, anything slightly left of center can feel very lonely because you don't have the same examples that you had uh, when you thought you were monogamous and straight. Uh, not everybody thought that, but I did. and. Uh, Building a community is is great for many reasons. It, it makes you feel part of something. You can uh, reach out to other people for their knowledge, and you can probably date some of them. So you know that's cool too. Um, to kind of around here. Really, yeah, we really we, really we've
0: that gone that through a couple of them already. Um, what about how about what does communication look like in your relationships?
1: Ooh. <laughs> I got I got a I got an example. So for a long time, I processed all my feelings internally and then would talk about them once I realized all the things that were not important ultimately, and I found out that that made my partner feel really bad about herself because she was jealous and she was upset and she was uh, dealing with all these emotions, and I seemed to be fine. And so when I started telling her about the times I feel jealous or the times I need attention, it really, really helped our relationship. Uh, so don't keep everything bottled up. There is no, there is no uh, trophy for stoicism in non-monogamy. Uh, the other major part of, of our communication is um, we are both 100% open with telling each other everything, but we don't present it first. You know, if I come home from a date, she'll ask how, how, how it was. I'll say, I had a good time. If she wants to know more, if she wants to know the details of the sex, she's welcome to ask. But sometimes you don't want to hear that from your partner. Sometimes you're happy they had a good time, but you don't necessarily want to hear about the ball slapping sex they had. And that's okay, because you can still be happy for them and not need to know the gory details. And so it, it's 100% about their comfort level at that point. So if, sometimes my partner does ask me for more details. Sometimes I ask her, but we both trust that if something important were to come up, if uh, a condom broke or if there was a, a barrier change, we tell each other so that we don't have to worry that something didn't get told
0: generally just communication and my relationship is constant we are always communicating we're chatting with each other online we're talking to each other uh, after our days at work we are checking in with each other we have date nights together and yeah it's just just kind of constant when something comes up that's a little bit like different or maybe a problem or feelings then maybe we'll specifically have a uh, schedule a chat, like, hey, it's Sunday evening, We'd really like to see you, let's talk. I have stuff on my mind. And we'll do that occasionally, but really it just kind of looks like we have a feeling, we
3: talk about it. Yeah. Uh, my my comment on communication is that you actually be present for it. Uh, if I'm spending a night with my wife on the couch at home because we're tired, uh, it's real easy to be on a phone or be playing a video game or something and like talking, like throwing things out there but not necessarily really listening or not re- not really having your partner listen. Uh, it takes some work, but actually putting stuff down and looking at each other, or even if it's briefly, like between doing other things, like making sure you're with that person and you're talking to that person, uh, I like talking to my wife and I like putting my phone down and looking into her eyes and talking to her. and. Mm-hmm. By the way, I tend to retain more of our conversations if I'm looking at her while I'm listening to her. Uh, it's not you know, a one-to-one relationship, but I have much better luck with that. And to me, that just by default results in better communication. Uh, I don't want to be on a date with somebody else and still communicating with two other people, or be at home and be communicating with two other people. There is obviously a lot of emotional exchange and communication with other partners if you have multiple partners. but. If I'm in a time and a space with one partner, I kind of want to be with that one partner, and it makes makes it easier to communicate and easier to listen and all that stuff. So. Uh,
0: is there a difference between ethical
2: non-monogamy and cheating?
3: Yes. yes. Yeah. <laughs>
2: yes. Although people, I think one of the common <coughs> kind of misconceptions again is that um, if you're polyamorous, there is no cheating. There is no Breaking of those like kind of like pre-established things because it's multiple loves or if you're swinging like you can just sleep with anyone at any time and that's not cheating because you went into this right um, you
3: have boundaries around your relationships
2: exactly so like the idea is that um, this open communication also means that you're talking about it before things happen and preparing for scenarios so like oh if I'm going out tonight uh, and I think I might be like there might be somebody that I'm interested in. I might talk to my partner about that beforehand rather than coming home and saying like, oh, I had sex with this person and that's what happened, so you're okay with it because we're non-monogamous, right? Like, I mean, maybe they when you would
1: put be. put it that way.
2: <laughs> maybe they would be and maybe everything would be great with that, but like having that like ongoing communication like we just talked about really prevents that kind of from happening. And also for some people, cheating can be like not using a barrier when that was an agreement. Um, uh, that's a pretty common form of like cheating because that is uh, something that was agreed upon.
1: I look at cheating completely as breaking uh, an agreement mm-hmm. because in, in, in a monogamous relationship, your agreement is you're monogamous okay. and cheating is flagrantly breaking that without any concern for the other person. Mm-hmm. And so in swinging, if you uh, just randomly go and start having sex and not telling your partner about it, that is cheating. Or if you only have sex as a couple, and then you go off on your own. Yeah, that can be cheating too. Really, cheating is whenever you do something specifically against your agreements. So having, having said all that, like, cheating is one of
3: the, you know, nuclear-level events that you can have in a relationship. Especially in non-monogamous relationships, because, you know, you can already be with other people, why would you bother cheating? It happens, trust me, it does happen. I'm not saying i don't, but like, I have had very good friends that have cheated. And I just look at them and go, you fucking moron. Why are you doing this, right? But cheating is a nuclear-level boundary or agreement violation. But not every boundary violation, not every uh, agreement breaking has to be a nuclear-level event. And I think uh, I have been successful in the various forms of non-anogamy of practice because most of the time uh, we both violated boundaries, but they weren't decisions that we made to say, you know what, fuck this boundary of doing it anyway. We make mistakes. And sometimes we've made agreements, and we've broken those agreements, but it hasn't been, you know what, I'm just going to do this anyway because I want to. It's just things sometimes happen, and leaving room for people to come together and talk about things and see what the lay of the land is uh, means that these kind of things, including cheating, doesn't necessarily have to mean the game's off. I still consider cheating very, very uh, dumb and not but, you know, yeah.
0: But also, I would say that in the very early years of, of my own, like, poly journey, I would um, lie by omission, you know, mm-hmm. or, or there was a time in which I did, I did not consider oral sex sex, so when my partner would ask me, did you guys have sex, I would say no. And that would be me thinking, yeah, I'm not lying, or maybe a little bit, you know, lying by omission, having yeah. had oral sex with that person um, but now you know 10 years later I'm like well I was kind of cheating on my partner at that point like he was under one uh, you know assumption of what I was doing and I was doing something differently that was maybe not what we had agreed on you know so like so there are a lot of mistakes that can happen that can seem like cheating or can be considered cheating by your partner and and it was because we did not communicate and we didn't have good enough communication for me to feel comfortable to say the things that I was actually doing. So, you know, uh, I feel like cheating can sometimes happen um, because the communication isn't there, because the communication, or things have not been established, agreements weren't actually said aloud, they were just assumed. Yeah,
2: This Um, is one of the reasons why the don't ask, don't tell can get really, really complicated, too, because if you are not having those conversations about what is off the table, then finding that out later might feel like cheating, but if that wasn't established, then how could that, be known between um, the partners that are involved. And so having that communication, having that open communication, I think that like at least that's advice that was given to me early on, like not that long ago, <laughs> but like it's really, really been really been fundamental. Um, and it's like uh, if you are new to this, it's like dylan was saying it's really common to make mistakes and being really compassionate with each other as you're going through this process that's really new and scary it involves a lot of fun emotions involves a lot of kind of scary emotions like just being compassionate to each other um can really be helpful through that um and yeah
1: because odds are you will fuck up majorly, and especially when you for (laughs) you Yeah, I mean, so when when you, the the thing about uh, non-monogamy is it is so different from the norm. When you first get into it, it can seem like Candyland, and you can be so intoxicated by all the things that you can do now that you're not thinking clearly. And so I, I tell everybody who's thinking about getting into it that you will fuck up majorly at some point, probably within your first year of doing this. So pre-forgive your partner for doing for fucking up, and then hopefully they will also forgive you, because you're both going to have one of those, I can't believe you did that, moments.
3: There's a, uh, I made a pretty common mistake when I was doing non-monogamy in that uh, I thought everybody should do it, and so I went <laughs> yeah, well, proselytizing to everybody and said, hey, you know, you should do this, and didn't realize how uncomfortable I made people and my wife. So, um, You know, it it was a small mistake on the scale of everything that we've enjoyed over the years, but uh, it's still a mistake. And maybe once you found something cool. I had NRE with non-monogamy is what I'm saying, and I made bad decisions based on that.
2: Okay, so um, because we've had such a lot of discussion over here (laughs) that you all have listened to for a while now, we'd like to kind of open it up. Um, There's a couple of topics that we didn't really talk about. So I'll mention those topics. If anybody has a specific question or wants to hear more about that, of course, you can bring it up. Um, so the ones that we we're kind of skipping over right now are play parties, threesomes, um, and then uh, primary and hierarchical more into that. If anybody has questions on that, or if you have other questions, we're going to open up now. Do you want to promote first? Sure. Well, we could talk about the things that we, that we have in our sure. lives. Do um, you want to talk
3: about Life on the Swing Set? Uh, no, you talk about it. Oh, sure. Um, so <laughs> I, I consider it a resource, right? It's Life on the Swing Set. It's a podcast. Like I said earlier, we've, it's been out for 10 years. Uh, we've talked about a lot of our mistakes a lot of our successes uh a lot about dicks uh we we, a
1: lot about yeah we
3: we invite a lot of uh not just our experience but we invite a lot of people on to talk about their experience in non-monogamy in queer spaces uh you know i'm i'm the only uh person of color on the podcast so we invite a lot of other people of color to talk about their experiences and uh you know we were talking about solo poly as an option earlier uh we have an episode coming up where we're going to talk specifically to a couple of Parents that are solo poly, and we ask other people with different backgrounds and different life experiences to come on and talk about things and talk about dicks.
1: <laughs> Odds are, if you have a question about any form of non monogamy, we have probably talked about it over the course of 360 episodes. Uh,
0: and I run another podcast, it's only about a year old. It's called Polyamory Uncensored. We are on episode 30, so we're a baby podcast in comparison. You, you yeah. get there. <laughs> yes. I hope so uh so yeah we i interview a new poly person every episode and uh ask them about their poly journey and uh you know what polyamory is to them and and yeah and then we also cover a topic every episode so that is wherever it's called polyamory uncensored it's wherever you can listen to podcasts. Their podcast is Life on the Swing Set. It is also wherever you can listen to podcasts.
2: I don't have a podcast, <laughs> but if you ever want to come talk to me at the Tool Shed,
1: <laughs> I,
2: I do want to it. Market. It's like
1: a personal podcast. I
2: do an in-person yeah. podcast where I just talk to people. <laughs> <laughs> and
1: and to talk we don't record it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, we also have the Milwaukee Poly Group, uh, which is every third Wednesday of the month we meet here at the Tool Shed for a discussion, and it's a pre-decided topic. We just talked about online dating, and it was really really fun. Um, we, and then we also meet at a different location every month, the first Friday of every month, uh, for our social. Which, uh, like I said, it's at, it's at a different location every month. But we're also we're on Meetup.com slash Milwaukee Poly as well as Facebook. And otherwise, you can always check the Toolshed's website. There's also information for the Poly group there. And if you want to talk about your books,
1: uh, I'm an author. I'm about to release my fifth book. My first one was a memoir about non-monogamy, my, my first five years. Uh, since then I've been writing novels. I wrote two novels about uh, swingers and polyamory people. I don't like polyamorists ever since Shiro. Uh, and uh, my, my two recent ones are horror novels featuring a queer hero uh, who is non-monogamous. So. So we're, so we're opening
3: so. Up, the, so we're mm-hmm. up the forward questions. Then. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we were going to give uh, rewards to people who ask questions, yes. but we failed at that. So, so, so who um, asked questions already? Okay, yes.
0: those are sized. Oh. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm going uh, yeah. Yeah, sure, to right. let you do this, but so I know that uh,
3: yeah. we've had a few questions already. So here. Yes. So, so let, let's talk sex work, right? So um, people that are sex workers don't necessarily, we're talking about relationship styles. Uh, and the, the lifestyle for swingers is, okay, we go out, usually as a couple and have sex usually with another couple. Uh, Sex workers aren't necessarily non-monogamous. They may have sex with other people, they may uh, uh, perform different kinks on other people or or other things like that, right? But it doesn't necessarily mean they are non-monogamous either in relationships or in sex. So as far as, I'll just offer my opinion, sex work is a totally valid way of making money. It's a totally valid way of spending your time. And it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to be, with multiple people in addition to that. Uh, it's very easy to, you know, I have a business life. And I don't cross my business life with my personal life as much as I've wanted to many times over the years. And I think there's a similar, without speaking from a sex worker's perspective, there's a similar barrier between the work life and, and the home life. And,
0: and I do think that it's, it's very hard because sex work is illegal to find sex workers in, especially in Wisconsin. It's just, I think it's, it's very difficult and now with Craigslist kind of shutting everything yeah. down, and, and SESTA-FOSTA is making things harder because the, the law is specifically made to protect people from being sex trafficked, but that also means that it hurts sex workers and people who are have in the sex industry in general. Um, but people being able to use um, sex work to test out opening up the relationship is a really good tactic. So if someone wants a threesome, but they can't find it on a dating website, yeah. and they cannot find it at swingers' clubs, or there aren't any swingers' clubs around, which in Milwaukee there aren't. Um, it is it is a nice resource to be able to hire a sex worker for the evening that can give you the fantasy that you want without necessarily like using someone for free, you know, like, mm-hmm. uh, or trying to get something for free, that is very difficult to find. So. It is hard to find sex workers because it is illegal at the moment. But, um, but I, I wouldn't say that it is um, something. N- I don't think that there's anything wrong with finding that if you can, and using that resource. Uh,
1: can you talk a little bit more about? Um, anytime I read it, people are really passionate about the whole unicorn hunting. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, it's it's non ethical. It's not you know. So it's there's just a lot of conversations about that, and people get pretty heated.
2: So yeah. So I can talk as somebody who is a the targeted unicorn group. <laughs> <laughs> um, you yeah, about, you yeah, you do. Yeah. Um, usually, by femmes are the person people who are targeted. The reason why it is so heated is that like. Oftentimes the rules that are involved with the people who are hunting unicorns really, really don't think of that person as an actual human being. And they consider their needs and what they might want and the ways that they... Um, Unicorn hunter profiles barely say like, we'd love to talk to you about what kinds of sex you'd like, too. Like, that that's not usually part of it. It's usually like, I want to have sex with someone my boyfriend wants to watch and then have sex with me and you can watch that but you can't participate and like we're gonna not use condoms but then like he's gonna wanna like do certain acts to you and you have to be okay with that but then it's like what is the potential benefit outside of maybe getting paid (laughs) for that person Uh, that's not that's not like a healthy relationship if I on a dating profile, as a monogamous person said, I'm looking for sex as is this, this person, and this person must do this, 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 and this, and this, and this, and this, and this. for me sexually. It would be really odd. <laughs> Those
3: profiles exist, though. They, they do. do. <laughs> and monogamous yeah. profiles like that exist. Right?
2: Yeah, I mean, so when we
0: say unicorn hunters, mm-hmm. it's usually people who are are seeking out that like hot by babe as a sex object yeah. you know it is it, and that's why wh- when it comes to being like unethical is they're not treating them like a human they're treating them like a fleshlight they're treating them like just a hole you know a fantasy and uh, and I mean and we'll often get I mean I, I do anyways literal messages that's like I want to give my husband a woman for his birthday you yeah. know like or surprise I, I'm not too. even a person at that point yeah so it's a gift so then, so that's where it's unethical, and that's why people get so heated. And it's because we often get these messages over and over and over again, and it just gets like there's a lot of them annoying. Yeah. So there is an ethical way to form a triad relationship, or even have like I, I was talking to someone who kind of identifies as like a male unicorn, which we've had. There, there are words. You know, we'll say Pegasus or Centaur or something like that. But um, but in general, I prefer a
4: manicorn.
3: I prefer yeah. A man-icorn. yeah!
0: So, and he, he specifically said, like, I don't mind being a unicorn. I want to be a sexual object for a couple. And I'm no, like, cool. Great. If that's consenting and you're consenting yeah. to that, yeah. that's awesome. <laughs> and that can be kind of like, your kink. You can even call it that if you're like, I want to be used. So that's that's fun. Um, and that's all good and fine. But when it's non-consensual is when it's on that field, right? Is when in someone is trying to get another person to come into their relationship with 50 rules that they've established, but that other person didn't consent to a single one of those. Right.
2: That's when it
3: gets... It's just awkward, too. Early on in swinging, uh, because I'm a mostly straight uh, dude, I was like, you know what, I'd love to be with two women. And uh, I found that the more that I looked for it, the less likely it was (laughs) to happen. And instead of getting more and more specific and more and more forward about it, I ended up accidentally stumbling onto a formula that works for me to make that happen, which is sitting back, being chill, and just being friendly with people and then people who are predisposed to wanting to be with a couple tend to end up being with couples. And over the years, uh, my wife and I have trended heavily in the threesome with another woman or another femme way. And we've had, we've had a lot of threesomes because we've been cool. Uh, just at a, at, at a regular get together, people get to know us. on a, a non-hookup uh, swinger event or, or poly event or anything like that, we're just talking to people, light flirting maybe here and there, whatever. And then the next time we are in a play space, all of a sudden, like, I really enjoyed talking to you. Let's keep talking, and then we keep talking, and then we end up in a threesome. Uh, and I mean, it doesn't just doesn't happen like we talk and we're in a threesome, right? But like, the path to that is is treating people as people. And uh, I've been very fortunate to be involved in a lot of
1: threesomes. Yes. Uh, is it possible
2: to be in a uh, an ethical non-monogamous hierarchical relationship? where one partner has a more strict set of boundaries, and then the other has a more relaxed set of
1: boundaries. As long as you agree to, to that, any any type of relationship is perfectly valid, as long as the communication is there that I am only going to do this, this, and this. You are only going to do... It, it's, it's, as you said, boundaries, so you have to both come to it with a what do you want to get out of? and be very giving to your partner because their version may differ from yours. And that's okay as long as nobody is sitting at home pissed off that your boundaries don't match with theirs because then that's that's just a recipe for disaster right there.
0: And something that we didn't mention was actually uh, monopoly relationships mm-hmm. where there are relationships that happen all the time where one person is monogamous and they do not... Care to date anyone, they're maybe super busy or they yeah. have no interest or they're asexual and they're like, I don't, or aromantic, I don't have any, you know, inclination for that. Uh, whereas the other person is not, but they still want to stay together or they still want to co parent or they still want to be nesting partners and live together. Um, so those formations, relationship formations, happen all the time. And as long as, like Cooper was saying, like they're on the same page and they're not resenting each other for those choices. You know, and it can be the opposite where this poly person is going out and having lots of dates, and they're like upset that their partner's not dating because right. then it makes them feel feel guilty that mm-hmm. they're outside of the house and doing fun things, um, and and yeah, as long as people are on the same page and are, are constantly communicating, I feel like those relationships can and do work. But um, but it's when you get all of those like nasty resentment feelings based on your other, based on your partner's actions that can really like start to damage and deteriorate a relationship.
3: The, the line that I have internally where something is okay and something is not is if I'm with one person and they have another partner that is telling them they can't do this thing with me that's not okay with me and uh, that's when I start to consider backing off from that person you can do everything but uh, but have their inside society is that a decision you're making or your other partner is making uh, for me that's not okay and that's where, that's where we cross over into the unethical side of things mm-hmm. in, in my opinion my and
2: experience. I think the important thing in that, too, and when you're specifically talking about boundaries is, again, doing constant, maybe really reflecting on are those boundaries realistic? Like, uh, are again, because like a boundary is something where if your boundary is broken, it's not just like, oh, well, that didn't feel good. It's your boundary should be something like, um, I think there was an analogy on uh, multi-amory that was like a, a balloon. It bounces off of mm. you like it needs to be something that you actually react to. Um, so, like, if your boundary is like, I won't um, I won't sleep with someone who hasn't been tested at least in the past year. If, if that's the case, it's not like, well, this one time, it's like, that's it. Um, so really looking at your boundaries and saying, like, are these realistic boundaries? Will this potentially be broken? And what happens if I had that boundary and I told my partner I had that boundary, and then that didn't happen, and then it will that partner be upset? There's a lot of things that have to be communicated in that to really continuously make that work. And keeping in mind that boundaries and agreements can be renegotiated and should be revisited. Just because it was doesn't mean it always will be.
1: There's also uh, something that I've I've come to see as like the paradox of polyamory, where you have this, uh, if you're insecure, your instinct is to grab on tighter to your partner and set up more Mm -hmm. and more boundaries and more restrictions in the relationship. And that has the opposite effect, usually, of pushing your partner away, especially into another relationship where they don't necessarily have those. So when when you're feeling the most uh, vulnerable, is actually the time you have to be the most giving to your partner. Because that's when they'll trust you and trust that you are there and you want them to have pleasure. And that's when they come back because ultimately, anyone could leave at any time. There's no real thing that's binding us together. Even, uh, you know, kids, houses, there's nothing actually holding us together. So this notion that monogamy is somehow keeping you together is is bullshit. We choose to be with, with someone every day, and that is a wonderful thing because saying i need this person is a is a passive thing saying i choose to be with this person is an active thing and so if you come into a relationship where you have a relationship where you both have determined that you choose to be with each other then that means that relationship can grow and evolve and change because you're still choosing to be with each other and if a time comes when you no longer choose to be with each other then you can be it's not going to be easy, but you can be a little bit more forgiving than a lot of breakups, because relationships change. That is the most valuable thing I've learned. And you can either roll with the changes and evolve and change with it, or you can stay static, and usually that means the end of the relationship. Being insecure also isn't the end of the world. Um,
3: reacting to it in the way that Cooper's talking about, where you start grabbing people on a people tighter Yeah, that's not a great way to deal with insecurity but talking to the partner or partners that you're insecure about and saying hey this may not be a rational feeling but i feel like i'm losing you a little bit would you mind just spending a little extra time with me or or talk to me a little more maybe can we check in every night for a little bit then you're you're putting out a request for attention Mm -hmm. uh, instead of yeah trying
1: to hold somebody uh, and in my triad we've actually started saying i need attention (laughs) <laughs> because usually that's all we need is just look at me and acknowledge I'm here, and so when you're willing to ask for that, you can get that. I mean, really, there's there's never been a, a time when I've asked for attention and I haven't gotten it. So it, it's really worth taking a silly phrase like that and adding it to your repertoire. Why my relationship with my cat works so well because her name's
3: is I it's look at me <laughs> in Spanish. Honestly.
2: Maybe tell us about um, play, play parties. you <laughs> have heard, <all> <laughs> <laughs> You've heard yeah. tell about play I've parties.
1: Heard. Well, uh, play parties like the the most traditional form of play parties is the swinger party, where it's couples getting together to swap. For the keys and
4: bowls
1: no, that doesn't happen. Don't talk about key parties. Dude, that's a cake though. Literally, I know no one who has done key parties except for ironic hipsters who are doing key parties so because great. it's hilarious. That is really cool. so. You know, really the the um, the thing that I think Dylan and I realized—I don't want to speak for you—but we used to host play parties all the time when they were very much swinger parties. Is we started to realize the more queer we made these parties, the better they were, and the more people were open and uh, willing to express what they were actually interested in. Because if you go with traditional swinging, there's often this stigma around it. You know, like I'm I'm a bi man, so there's a huge stigma against bi men in the swinging community. So. At a traditional swinger party, I don't necessarily feel comfortable being my full authentic self. Uh, which is why any party that I throw now, it's not a its not a swinger party. It's a party where I invite my friends and say, hey, there's going to be sex here. Would you like to come over and maybe
2: have some sex? <laughs> I think it's hard also to fine. imagine <laughs> people, like, when you haven't been to one. So I feel like right now But I guess I thought it wasn't... So it's, it's, not all the time. It's, it's basically a group of folks who get together with the acknowledgement that sex can happen within the space. Oftentimes there'll be a period of socialization. Then many times there'll be like some kind of welcome kind of talk. Um, people will have rules that they'll go over. Like consent is often a rule. Um, there'll often be like areas that won't have sex that uh, are like sex-free spaces for people to go. There's somebody that you can talk to if. You're having a bad time, or something. Someone is behaving inappropriately, and everyone is usually vetted in some kind of process. Um, Unless it's like there's certain play parties that can happen in uh, public spaces that you pay to go to. Not really in Milwaukee, as far as I know. I think there's one one just south of
1: there's a and there's there's some in Madison that
2: are kink based. uh, But basically, like it's not that you go into the party expecting that you will have sex, unless maybe you come with a partner and that's your plan. Um, but that sex can happen in that space. And it's a safe space for people to be nude, to experience, to talk to people. Um, and basically that's how it kind of comes together. There's almost like this air of like mystery around <laughs> it, but if you actually experience it, it's a lot less weird than it sounds, <laughs> believe it or not. And many times in order to go to a play party, it sometimes involves throwing your own. Yeah.
3: Uh, I, I will say that play parties is also, you all you have to have a certain level of like uh, self-knowledge and I guess general competence about communication and how to present yourself to people. Uh, even if you know everybody in the room, that doesn't necessarily mean everybody's ready to drop everything and have sex with you. If you go to a play party and sit in the corner of a room and look sad, you're not going to end up playing with anybody, right? Uh, if you go to a play party and not expect anything to happen, but you have fun, socialize with people, drink a little bit. Maybe play some silly games and then get comfortable with people. Then all of a sudden, something interesting might happen. And some of the coolest experience I've, experiences I've had have started where like nobody touched each other sexually for like the first four hours of a party, and then one person took off their shirt and then everything just happened. Yeah. And it was a big pile of people, right? Like everybody was primed and ready to go because we were all just chilling.
1: That's what you call the sex explosion.
3: Yeah. Right. Right. So it, play parties come in all different sizes, but I, I love them because lots of things can happen. I mean, having said that, I have run a couple gangbangs before where obviously there's some more structure to that. And I guess you could call that a kind of a play party, but I would I wouldn't call it a play party. I just call it a separate thing. It's a gangbang. It's a structured thing. You know, we're here for this thing and here's how here's the rules, here's how it's gonna be. Uh, yeah, play parties really need to start organically. Uh, and the best ones I've had and been to have kinda happened that way.
1: And the the thing about play parties is most of the good ones are ones that you learn about in your community. So that's mm-hmm. another value of discovering the open community near you, is that odds uh, are somebody's throwing play parties.
2: <laughs> Me and Lindsay actually ran a class this past spring on mm-hmm. how to throw a play party, so maybe they'll oh. come back again.
3: Nice. So, Oh wait, hold on, we had a gentleman in the back with a question?
1: Um, yeah, you know, when you're that uh, personal with people, you learn things. Um, you may not, you might not be your best friend or something, but I suppose that at a certain point you learn mm-hmm. privacy, that you, if someone tells you something, you find something out about somebody that you don't share it with anyone else you know. Mm-hmm. Because that certainly can be a fear. of people like, well, you know, if that person finds this out about me, yeah. they can tell me, buddy, and so purposely forgetting is, I mean, how, how do you guys deal with, with that?
3: Uh, so, like, really, really early on in swinging, because that's where we got our start, my wife and I got our start, uh, we worked for the Catholic Church. You know, more than half my income came from the Catholic Church, and she was a teacher. So if that identity had gotten out, uh, we would have lost a lot of income. And we enjoyed being with as many people as we did, because we all commonly agreed and uh, th- that we would not out each other.
4: Uh,
3: that is kind of the nuclear weapon of, of, you know, non-monogamy, right? You outing somebody else that is not out. Uh, and so there's a very strong... Um, This very strong privacy stress, especially with swingers, but also in in closed groups of people. Not everybody is in a community that they can be out in. So uh, really talking to people that you're with and around and seeing whether they're out or not, whether they're interested in having you tell their stories or not, really. Like, uh, I I generally like other people to tell their own stories, um, but it doesn't mean I haven't done a couple introductions when an introduction was warranted.
0: And usually, like, discretion is, is definitely uh, appreciated and sometimes mandatory in communities. In the kink community, if you're found out to be like outing someone else um, and, and releasing their private information, you're absolutely exiled from that community. Like, you, and it, at least if they've found out. Um, uh, that is very uncool and very frowned upon. And I believe in the swinger community, it's similar in, in that you, yeah. you cannot, I mean, if you see someone out of the grocery store, I, I I've heard people say like you ignore them like maybe you maybe nod <laughs> in the direction but unless you're good friends uh, you probably or if your like family is nearby or something you probably just ignore them because uh, because discretion is, is is super necessary.
3: It's a great overreaction. I yeah. mean like listen we say things like that all the time. Honestly, if I saw another couple that I was with last night at a store, I'd be like, hey, how's it going? Give you a hug, give you a handshake, right? Like we're not going to make out in the middle of a grocery right. store, right. and that's all you need to yeah. not do. Just no yeah. hanky panky. Well, and
1: and <laughs> the, uh, the, the you need to forget. It's remember the the golden rule is don't be a dick. Right. So you don't need to forget everything they told you. Just don't tell anybody else. You know we we can we can learn things and then keep them to ourselves. <laughs> what? I can. <laughs> on. One thing that's really worth mentioning is nobody gives a shit how you know people. Right. You know, that's the thing. Everybody's so worried about how, okay, we got to get our story straight, how we met. And ultimately, the moment you start telling people how you met, unless it's a great story, nobody cares. We met at a sex no, club. We, oh, don't, shit. Don't, don't <laughs> do <that. laughs> But what, what we found out, I know, I know Dylan and I were talking about this a long time ago, was the easiest way is like, oh, board gaming. Yeah, yeah, and then nobody wants to talk to you, about it. except for board gamers who really care more about what you play. So the ultimately, it's just yeah. You don't you don't have to be weird and cagey because then it will be kind of more obvious. But if you say friend of friend. There's never a follow-up to that. Nobody asks, well, what friend? Because that's weird. So I think we should take one more question and then
2: kind of wrap this up for tonight. Does anybody else have a question? Thank you guys for coming. Thank
0: you. And that is it from us at Polyamory Uncensored. We have been Lindsay Miller. And Katie Williams. We'd like to thank podcast husband Rob for being our sound engineer. And thank you, Lindsay, for editing this podcast so that we sound smart. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Polyamory Uncensored. Contact us at polyamoryuncensored at gmail.com if you have a listener question or a comment. And if you'd like to support us at all, you can send us a monthly contribution at anchor.fm slash Uncensored, and simply click on the support this podcast button. If you'd like to support the podcast with a one-time contribution, we've set up a PayPal link to make it super easy. Thank you for your support in any amount at paypal.me slash Uncensored. We hope you've enjoyed this episode and remember,
2: we love you. Bye.